Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Father God, we thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you for Christ and that he was willing to die on the cross for our sins and that through him we can experience uh, spiritual life and spiritual growth. And uh, we pray that as we look at the end of chapter 2 in Colossians tonight, that you'd help us to see areas in our lives where we need to turn away um, from things that um, are not true religion and that we turn to the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, just ask for your help in that and for humility as we seek to follow you and uh, be willing to repent of our sins. And uh, we just confess our dependence and need for your help. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're going to run through kind of the background as we've looked at it these last couple weeks. So again, the people in Colossae are facing... Uh, some false teaching that's come up where they're being led away from the person of Christ, finding their fullness in Him, and being led to do things in legalism where they uh, do certain things to try to earn God's favor and blessing, and uh, mysticism where if they do certain things, they're able to experience God on their own terms. So they're trying to come to God on their own terms and uh, bring God down to themselves on their own terms. Uh, that's the false teaching that's being proposed to them. And Paul's encouragement is to not turn away to those things, but to continue on in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the theme verses come from chapter 2. Um, in verse 9, talking about Jesus, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. So just an encouragement and a reminder to them to keep coming back to the Lord and finding their fullness and life in Him. And uh, we'll see in our text today where Paul unfolds the, what they're being proposed in false teaching and some of the things we can learn from that. And so our theme for the class is life in our supreme and sufficient Savior. Uh, he is everything we need. And then we've broken up the class into two parts. Uh, so next week we'll transition to the second part. Uh, but the first half really addresses what we're to think and believe about who God is. And then the second half addresses more of how we're to act on those things. So before we jump into the notes... Um, it's, I know in my, my own thinking, it's easy to think of their situation as far from us, that we don't really deal with false teaching today. You know, where are the false teachers? Where are these, these wolves coming in and deceiving? Um, so one recent one that's been exposed uh, has just come up. There's been a documentary done on him and his church. And I just wonder if any of you have come across uh, this individual uh, in TV or the internet or whatever it might be. Um, so the, the name of the church is uh, 
it's called uh, the Synagogue of All Nations or something like that. The Church of the Synagogue of All Nations. It's in, in Nigeria. And his name is T.B. Joshua. Is that name familiar to anybody? No. <laughs> so, so he was really a huge, uh, even world leader back in like 2005. And he led like a huge healing movement where people would travel to Nigeria to try and be healed by him, try to find direction from him. Um, so he's called a prophet uh, by his followers and uh, things like that. So the BBC just did a three-part um, three documentary on him and his church, kind of exposing him. And uh, I just want to show you some of the, the tendencies of cults, of false teachings, where uh, as you listen to this, there's, just, there's strange things about it that, that will immediately strike us as strange. And the people we're listening to are the ones who were his closest followers. So they're his inner circle of disciples. Uh, the lady speaking, they were called disciples. And then the, the man we'll hear, the African man, he's, um, he was like T.B. Joshua's right-hand man when they were at their highest point. So he, he knows everything. And so to listen uh, to how they talk about people and how they're manipulating people on purpose um, is just really fascinating. So this isn't the exact heresy or false teaching that was in Colossae, but there's similarities where you'll notice as we watch like this five-minute clip that they made their own rules. They're, they made their own uh, you know, steps to righteousness. If you do these things then you'll be a true follower. Um, at one point in the, this part, I wrote it down here, uh, it comes across the screen, experience a new level of life. So there's this idea of like getting closer to Jesus and transcending uh, you know, the normal life and stuff like that. So uh, I can't remember if this clip talks about it all, but all of his miracles were faked and... It's fascinating to see, though, this is very recent. So he just passed away two years ago. The church still exists, and his wife is leading it. And um, there, so when you look at like the comments on this documentary, there's people defending him and saying, like, the world will never understand the ways of God. And the, the clip I chose here is... Uh, like the only segment from these three hours that would be appropriate to play in church. It, it's really bad what they were doing. Um, so I wouldn't recommend watching this, <laughs> but uh, if you have questions about it, I, I could talk to you about it. So we're just going to watch till, uh, it's just, it's really gruesome. It's, it's wildly awful what, what they were doing. And uh, so... So just, I hope the sound and everything works, but uh, watch it and pay attention to what, it's fun because you see the people who were in his inner circle watching footage of themselves, discussing what it was like, and uh, things like that, so. Contact anyone outside. 
that didn't have my own cell phone, we didn't really access to our own personal email. We didn't have our passports. They held them for us. Say my pass is over. Your pass is over now. Every relationship you have in this world, you have to cut them off. You make sure you do that. You have no other family. Your family is still with your children. Jesus used to say to his disciples, leave your father and mother and join me. That's what we had all done. We had left our families. I, I suggest that any mothers and dads out there who've got kids like mine, we need to be sending our church to nation to let, let the Lord move in them. When I first arrived, it was only a couple of days I started hearing disciples calling him Daddy. We all called him Daddy. Everybody called him Daddy. He tried to like look after us and you know we would all call him daddy. It was a bit odd, but I brushed it aside, you know, I dismissed it. I can't. So we'll stop there for now, but um, yeah, if you have more questions about that, let me know. Um, But it was really, really an awful thing. And so what we'll see, uh, some similarities between uh, what he had and what we see in our text, is that he, he made himself next to God. And so something he says elsewhere in, in these, where they have, uh, it's the right-hand man says this. He says, every 2,000 years, this is what T.B. Joshua said, God sends a Messiah and I'm the next Messiah, is basically what he said. Uh, <laughs> and he acted like it. And uh, if we listen to more of it, you'd see him, you know, invoking the name of Christ in, in ways that, you know, we, we would even do, just, just speaking of the Lord. Um, but he was a very awful, uh, vile man. So he had rules for them that he had set up where uh, they had to dress a certain way, they weren't allowed to sleep very much, um, they weren't allowed to, to reach out to anyone in the outside world. These are just like huge red flags of <laughs> cult of you know, not being able to communicate with anyone. And he created a, a system within their small group there where they were afraid to even talk to each other about stuff uh, in fear of being punished. So he was a very violent man. Uh, we studied in Titus 1 on Sunday that a pastor must not be, you know, given to violence and things like that. Um, and he would, he, he did awful things. So I won't get into it uh, for our time here tonight. Uh, but yeah, he, he placed himself in the position of God in these people's lives. And uh, it's easy for us, in, instead of humbling ourselves and submitting to Christ, sometimes it's easier to follow someone who gives us a list of things that we can check off to know that we're doing the right thing instead of actually submitting to Christ. So our jobs, like we saw in Titus 1 on Sunday, uh, so that letter was written from Paul to Titus, for Titus to lead churches to find pastors, and here were the qualifications. So our job is to find the people that we, we can follow. And it's, 
Very interesting to see uh, these people willingly come and put themselves under him. Uh, one person was struggling with a certain sin that they were hoping he would deliver them from. Um, other people came with physical illnesses hoping that he would heal them of that or that they would help him feel closer to God. Um, all these things, they were coming to him hoping that he would you know, flip the switch and do a miracle and they would uh, feel better about this. So these are man's attempts to get to God and to bring God down to themselves instead of following God's plan of experiencing the fullness of life in Jesus as we've studied in uh, the past couple weeks here. Uh, so we look at that and um, it's easy to look at that and say, I am not legalistic like that. I am not uh, mystical like that. Because that's an extreme example. Uh, you know, none of us are in a cult uh, living under the authority of someone like that. But I think we're all guilty of that type of thinking at one time or the other. So when Jesus was talking to the Israelites, you know, he would say to them, you know, have you murdered? Well, if you've murdered in your heart, or if you've been angry in your heart, then you, you're guilty of murder before me. And so I think that's kind of where we land in this category, is we're not like raging legalists or raging mysticals, uh, but we were quick to say, I'm not like that, so I'm okay. I'm not following someone like that, so I'm all right. Instead of uh, addressing our own hearts and seeking to make sure that we're walking in the fullness of Christ. So there's, there's little ways that this comes up. You know, it's not wrong to follow someone as they follow Christ. That's what Paul talks about, and that's the way the church is designed. Uh, but there's, there's ways that we can either uh, submit ourselves to a teaching or a self-righteousness, uh, different things that can sneak in um, under the surface. So the good news is we're justified by Christ, so we don't need to self-justify ourselves. We just need to live life in the fullness of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So here's some ways that even as believers, we can kind of you know, turn away from, I'm justified in Jesus, I'm righteous in him, and say, I'm going to justify my, myself in these ways to make myself feel better. And uh, ultimately, it's making ourselves look better while we put others down. It's a comparative thing. So here's some different ways that we can do this. Uh, health righteousness. We can say, you're not eating well. I had better enforce my dietary habits on you. And so our, our preferences for things become laws that we invoke upon other people's lives um, because we've created as righteousness for ourselves. And so now I want you to do my righteousness instead of all of us just resting in Jesus' righteousness and following him. Uh, language righteousness. Uh, you use the word fortunate or lucky. Don't you believe in the providence of God? You keep on splitting the infinitive. You ended a sentence with a preposition. So some of these seem silly, but these are ways that we, uh, we build ourselves up in how we do things in a right way that we assume instead of resting in Christ's righteousness. Holiday righteousness. How on earth can you do that on Christmas, Easter, and so on? Entertainment righteousness. You put your TV in the center of your living room, play computer games and watch videos? This indicates that you are worshiping entertainment. Finance righteousness. 
How could you spend your money on that? I would never do that. You do not manage your finances as well as I do. This could have been given to the poor. Theological righteousness. How could you possibly hold that view? Political righteousness. I can't believe you voted for. Kids righteousness. You have such poorly behaved children. I am clearly a better parent than you. My righteousness. How dare you criticize me? Anti-Pharisee righteousness. Why are you so dull, condemning, and judgmental? I will never judge someone like that. Ah, so, <laughs> so these are all ways that, that these things can sneak in. And that's what we'll see, first of all here, is that uh, in this church, there's enough Jewish influence that they're being judged according to Jewish things. And so we'll note quickly that Paul doesn't condemn those things as bad, but he's saying those aren't a judgment of whether or not you're pleasing to the Lord, whether or not uh, you're walking with the Lord. Those are, are good things and even a part of God's word, but that's not the fullness of Jesus. They're just a shadow. Jesus is the substance. So as we jump into this, the, I think this text outlines for us that Jesus is true religion. There's all these little things that distract us from walking with the Lord Jesus, but he, him and his person and who he is is uh, who we need to follow. So the first one here, don't turn away from a real walk with Jesus. So in verse 16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding festivals or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So I think Paul is allowing room here for the church to be full of different people with different interests, with different upbringings, heritage, background, but united around the person of Jesus Christ. So within the church, I can't look over at this person and say, well, because you don't celebrate Christmas, you're wrong, and you know, you're not walking in obedience to the Lord, and making uh, things that are a part of Christian liberty a test of... <coughs> Um, whether or not they're walking with Christ. Uh, so this could play over into all sorts of things. Um, so you think about uh, some issues of the past where I remember when I was a child that people left my church because we got like a projector, like the overhead projector with like the transparency and things like that. And then when we got a, like this type of projector, people left. And uh, we create these these uh, levels of what is right and wrong when we're missing uh, the substance of what Christianity is all about. So in regards to what the Colossae church was experiencing, uh, they were being judged according to uh, the shadow of things to come. So within the Jewish system, uh, you know, all those things were meant to point to Jesus, who's the true Sabbath, who is, uh, you know, the real uh, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, um, things like that. So, so these were shadows pointing to what was to come, um, but now we know that the substance of the Jewish faith, what it was leading towards, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so we, we don't need to worry about as much uh, these other things. They, they can be fine and helpful, um, but real Christianity is living life in the fullness of Jesus, not focusing on 
if everyone is doing Christianity my way, uh, the important thing is, is Jesus Christ. So that's like the, the foundational level of the church is the substance is Jesus. So we don't want to be distracted by other things, things leading us away from him. But building on that, there, there's other things that are uh, important in the church. The gospel is the most important. Without that, none of us can be here. But we don't want to build a church around the gospel and something else. So you don't want the gospel and Judaism. You don't want the gospel and homeschooling, the gospel and whatever. Um, you want your church built on the gospel. And then on top of that, you add other important things, things that uh, if they weren't true, it would undermine the gospel. So we're all sinners. Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. He was truly God and truly man. Jesus really resurrected from the dead. Jesus is coming again. Uh, if you deny any of those five things, you're denying the gospel. It, it takes away one of the, the key elements of the gospel. So we need, like, you can't be a church without that. And then on top of that, uh, well, you can't be a believer without that. And then on top of that, uh, you can add other things. So our understanding of scriptures is that we're Baptist, that, that we should use Baptist polity. Uh, our understanding of scripture is that dispensationalism is correct. Uh, so different things like that, but those come after the base level of Jesus is the substance. And then some of these other things can play in and help with that. But they're not a test of whether or not someone uh, is a believer or not. <clears throat> um, so yeah, it's, there's, there's always things tempting us to seek religion somewhere else than Jesus. An easier path, uh, so to speak. Uh, these people are trying to quantify spirituality. If you keep these festivals, if you keep the Sabbath, uh, then you're spiritual. Uh, but the truth of the New Testament is that uh, when you're in Jesus and you're walking with him, you are spiritual. So thinking about this, kind of zooming out to what Paul's doing here, he spent most of his time instructing them on the good, and then he addresses uh, the bad here. And... Um, I think that's helpful, and being a pastor, it's helpful to think through um, this because, uh, you know, I'm not infallible. I could be a false teacher very easily. You know, as soon as I depart from the substance is Jesus and start teaching my, my own way of salvation, my own way of spiritual growth apart from Christ, uh, you know, I'm guilty of false teaching um, and potentially heresy. So, if you're someone who, uh, who, who speaks for God, someone who interprets the Bible for other people, so a Bible study leader, uh, you know, you meet with someone for discipleship, you're a parent, uh, you're a pastor, you know, any of these things, uh, we're, we're to take God's Word seriously and to, to care well for that we're saying what God's Word says and not our own words. Because um, it's easy to get an idea of our own in our head, as we'll see later, um, and kind of run with it. Uh, let's jump into letter B here. So, don't turn away from a real walk with Jesus. Sorry, and then Jesus is the substance of true religion 
so don't turn away to shadows. And then B, Jesus is the strength of true religion, so don't turn away to self-reliance. So first he tells them, don't let anyone judge you. And then he says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Um, so this is kind of the idea of being disqualified for a prize or like in an event if you, if you cheat or something. And uh, that's all one word, let no one cheat you of your reward. And uh, the idea is that if you're, if you're led astray to what it's going to say here, to this false religion, this false Christianity, this false way of thinking of how you grow in Christ, uh, you're going to kind of miss out on real life in Christ. So anytime you're distracted from living a full life in Jesus, uh, you, you're missing out. You're, you're really missing out on what it's like uh, to live a full life in Jesus. So the thing he points out here in their situation is that they're taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. So this is the false teaching that's coming up here, is they're encouraging them to be proud about their humility. So we'll see later that it shows up in asceticism, so they're uh, hurting themselves to feel closer to God. They're, they're punishing themselves uh, to try and get closer to God. So they're, they're bringing God down to their level on their terms is how they're going to come to him. So they have this false humility and then worship of angels. So we're not fully sure what's meant here. Worship of angels directly seems like an obvious no-no. <laughs> um, so maybe it's some sort, it may, maybe it is worship of angels, but maybe it's uh, coming to God through angels, like using angels as priests or uh, a means to, to talk to God. And so that is not a good idea. Don't do that. Uh, and so how did this come about? It says, introducing or sorry, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So the false teacher is being accused here of speaking of things they, they don't understand, things they haven't seen, and uh, kind of taking this, this position of authority and God's word within their own mind to tell these people how to worship God how God wants them to come to them. So maybe he claimed to have had a vision uh, or something, uh, some new revelation and said, hey guys, God revealed to me that we can be closer to him if we come to him through angels. Or, or God revealed to me, I saw in a, in a dream last night that if we, if we hurt ourselves, then, then God will give us what we want. So that's the type of false teaching that's being taught to the Colossian believers. And Paul's saying, don't, don't turn away to these things. And he's going to say in verse 19, hold fast to the head. So he's using it as a contrast to the false teacher. So the false teacher is going towards these things, saying, this is how you get to God and bring God down to yourself. Instead of, in verse 19, instead of holding fast to the head. So he's talking about Jesus here. So false teachers, they, they take that position of authority to tell you how, um, how to experience God, 
and how to walk with him on your own terms. So it's apart from what God's word says. It's, it's their own creating of it. So he says uh, that he's not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So he points out to them, he gives them the picture of their church, that how can they guard themselves against false teaching, and what should have this teacher been doing, this, or this pastor, what should he have been doing? Uh, he should have been holding fast to the head, and Jesus is the head. Uh, and so then he gives the picture of their church. He says, from whom the, all the body, so think about all the, the ligaments, he says, and uh, the joints, so all the, the members of the body, they receive their nourishment and they're knit together by the head. So he's pointing out the importance of the community of the church to guard against false teaching and that this individual, uh, this false teacher, should have been uh, holding fast to the head and, and leading the body better, and he doesn't do that. So he points out as well that uh, the body grows with the increase that is from God. So we see that, that growth in the Christian life and in the church comes from God. So what, what's happening here, we're seeing man's attempts at religion. And we'll study more about it in a second here, but when we get into chapter 3, we see what true religion is. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. That's what the real thing is. It's not keeping a set of moral principles. Um, it's not uh, trying to bring God down to us by, by doing certain things. It's setting our mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's real Christian life. That's how we grow. We can't grow on our own terms. We grow on God's terms. And we grow when we trust Christ and keep our minds set on Him. So when someone comes along and promises growth through someone other than Christ, it, it can't be true. It's just not real religion. Jesus is true religion. So as we go down through this next part, uh, we'll see that played out here. Uh, in, in the Christian life, we, uh, we, want, we want to be close to God. We want to feel close to God. We want to have a deep relationship with Him. I've heard that a lot where, you know, this person is, is deep. They, they uh, you know, know the Lord or, you know, we have different ways of saying that. One part we didn't watch from the video is it came across the screen, experience life, experience a new level of life. So, that's what we always want. We want to be better. We want to love God more. We want to serve Him better. And that's what's fascinating about a lot of the people that, that go to this is they, they see this person making these promises and doing these miracles and they say, this is what it would have been like to walk with Jesus on earth, to see Him heal these people, uh, to see all these great things done. And so they... We, we go to false teaching because we want to. Is, you know, no, one, no one forces these people to go and 
bind themselves to these cults. They choose to. They're, they're kind of stuck once they get there. But we follow these things because it's what we want. We want to know God and experience God on our own terms. We want to be able to check the list of, okay, I walked with God today, instead of living a life full of the Spirit, setting our minds on, on Christ. So Paul's going to remind them here in verse 20 that we, we live life differently now. We live life dead in Jesus. So previously, we, we were bound to the desires of our flesh, of our sin nature. Uh, we were kind of stuck in that. But now with new life in Jesus, we're, we're free from that. And he's going to say, You're, you've been freed from these rules and regulations for righteousness. So don't go back to it. Why would you go back to living that way? You have Jesus. So the first part here, letter A, is kill human self-righteousness because you died with Jesus. So like we said at the beginning, we don't need to justify ourselves anymore. Jesus has already done it. Now we trust him, walk with him, and uh, set our, our minds on him. So in verse 20, he's kind of concluding uh, chapter 2 as we've been reading it. It says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principle, principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Uh, so he says, if you died, it sounds like he's questioning if they're really believers or not. Uh, you can translate this to mean since you died. So he's, it's an argument. He's saying, since you died, don't submit yourselves to regulations, is the argument he's making. So when we trust in Jesus, uh, we are baptized into his death and resurrection with him. We're, we're, uh, we become dead to the world and to our sin nature, and we're risen to new life. We're regenerated and given life in Christ. So we're spiritually baptized. So if you died with Christ uh, to these things, the basic principles of the world, so the you know, you think about the three things, the lust, lust of the eyes, uh, the pride of life, and Satan. If you've died to these things, if they no longer have power over you because you're in Jesus, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which, are perith which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men." So, the, the Jewish people, they had the law, and there was lots of rules about how they were to live. And the law was never meant to be a means of salvation for them. Uh, it was a means to know what God required of them and to obey Him. And I think it really was meant, uh, I think it says in Galatians 2 it is, uh, that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. We were supposed to see the law and say, God, I keep breaking your law. I keep killing animals to pay for it. And there's just not enough animals in this world to pay for all my sin. Like, I need you to save me because I, I can't sacrifice enough. There, there's just not enough. I am so lost without you. Uh, the law was a tutor, a teacher to show us that we're sinful, that we need to be saved. And uh, so it was never a means of 
righteousness. We could never fulfill the law and be perfectly righteous. And so what happened when Christ came is he put an end to the law for the church. So Romans 8 says, you are, I believe it's Romans 8, you are, uh, no, you are not under law, sorry, i got to remember what it says. Uh, I miss, yeah, you're not under law, but under grace, is that the exact wording? And he's, he's reminding them that uh, the law is no longer over you in judgment. So the law will not condemn us. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's the law's purpose is to condemn us. Jesus was condemned under the law for us. He became a curse for us under the law. So he's saying, why would you go back to the law? Why would you go back to rules and regulations that are supposed to measure righteousness and put yourself back under that? And he says, these rules and regulations in verse 22, these are concerning things that are perishing. So I think he's drawing a contrast here of these things are perishing, but Jesus is forever. So why would you leave forever Jesus and go after these laws about not touching things that, that are going to fade away? And according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So why are you following what these false teachers say instead of following what Jesus said? And he's contrasting them there um, and showing uh, just what a bad idea it is to, to leave the teachings of Christ and go after false teaching. Uh, so yeah, in that, in that idea of we've died with Christ, so that's a positional thing. So I still sin. You still sin. Even though we're dead to those things, spiritually, because now we're not enslaved to them, we can re-enslave ourselves in our walk. Uh, so we'll never be condemned again. We're positionally secure. But in our walk with the Lord, we can turn away from Him and, and basically forget that He died uh, for us and rose again and that we're dead in Him and begin to live again to the world and resubmit ourselves to legalism and mysticism and kind of walk away from what Jesus has done for us. Um, and he says there, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So he's, he's contrasting, uh, the, these are man-made things. They're not from the word. So we, the classic thing is we think of the Pharisees. You know, they, they sought to be righteous. And if they needed a little extra, they'd make another rule that they could keep. And, you know, there's just self-righteousness to their core. And Jesus confronted them in that. And like we said before, he, he would look at them and say, you condemn these people because they've killed or whatever, but you killed in your heart. You, you've done these things. Um, and I think this is, this is one of the, the false teachings that have crept into our everyday language today. Uh, and I think it's, it's wrong. So hear me out. Um, I think... We think about people in terms of good and bad people. So we look at this person, we say, that's a bad person. They've done bad things. And we look at this person, they say, oh, they've done good things. They're a good person. And I think this undermines the gospel because we're all bad. There's only one good. Jesus is the good person. He saves bad people and makes them good. He declares them righteous. So I think when we... Uh, you know, I have my two sons in front of me, and I say, Silas, 
why can't you be good like your brother? What have I just done there? I've undermined any gospel help that could have been done there because I've just now created a righteousness in the brother and a condemnation of unrighteousness in the other brother based upon behavior. Instead of saying, hey, you know, I struggle to obey too. You know, I, sometimes I do what I want to do as well. But can you, with me, give up what you want to do and follow Jesus with me? So there's a difference there. So sometimes uh, I, I had this conversation with one of my boys the other day. He's like, Dad, you're, you're the bad guy. So we're like playing good guys and bad guys, right? And I was like, I am a bad guy. And he's like, what? <laughs> and it's just, it's not a part of how we think about the world. You know, my son's like, no, dad's a good guy. Like, my dad's a good guy. You know, like how we, how we think about dads and things like that. And it's really cute, but it's wrong. I'm an awful sinner, saved by the blood of Jesus. And he needs to know that. And uh, this creeps into how we, how we think about people where we imagine... Uh, or imagine with me, uh, i got to think of a safe example here. So your neighbor has uh, a political sign in their yard that, oh man, they're a bad person. Like how could they vote for that person and, and put that in their yard? Uh, you know, something like that, where right there I've created a self-righteousness based on who I'm voting for, that I've elevated my, myself, I'm a good person, they're a bad person. Instead of saying, oh man, I'm a bad person, they're a bad person, I'm going to go tell them about Jesus. You see the difference in the, the mentality? That when we look at people as bad, and we're good people, it's a legalism that shuts down the gospel. It shuts down opportunities to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling. It shuts down opportunities to evangelize to people who are drowning in their sin, uh, who are lost, who are just, you know, deceived. Uh, so I don't know if that helps, but uh, I think it's fine that we read books with good guys and bad guys. But in the real world, there's one hero and the rest of us are villains. And Jesus saves us. And that's, that's how it works. Yeah, Carrie. Right. Because then you're no longer loving them and it's such grace you for them. Right. Yep. We're, we just, when, we, when we do that, when we condemn someone else for the sake of you know, self-justifying, self-righteousifying ourselves, that's not a word, but you know what I mean, uh, we put up a wall where it breaks down the ability to fellowship. I'm not saying we stop recognizing wrong things and sinful things, we, that's, we have to do that. That, that is absolutely important. Um, but when we do it for the sake of uh, justifying ourselves and uh, producing self-righteousness within ourselves, uh, we do it at the sake of the gospel. Uh, yeah, I have a page in this book by Jonathan Lehman called Authority, where he talks about Basically, when we, we self-justify, excuse me, we're playing God, is what he says. We, we've taken the position of God. So he says, when humans play God, we trust our own instincts about right and wrong. 
We honor our own moral evaluations before we listen to our parents, bosses, pastors, and certainly the Lord. We justify our every emotion, defend our every decision. We measure fairness and justice by the standard of ourselves. We presume to be righteous. So that should just bring us back to the importance of remembering that we don't have all the answers. We're, we're bad people too. And we need to set our minds on Christ and, and walk with him. So I think false teaching in, in these uh, legalistic and mystical ways can kind of sneak in even to the way where we think about how the world works and, and things like that. And so, yeah, I just encourage you to think through that, um, that illustration of the two children in front of you. And even what that does to them spiritually is that as soon as I say, you, you're not being good like your brother, now for him to be good, he just needs to do whatever his brother's doing instead of following Jesus. So it just creates all sorts of confusion spiritually. And we do this all the time, unthinkingly, where we see bad behavior, immoral things, whatever, and we try to correct it morally. And instead of helping them run to Christ, we set up these false ways of spirituality that will just hurt them in the long run because it's confusing and they try that and it's like, oh, I'm still not right with God. And it's because they're not, they're not walking with Christ. So that's the, the self-righteousness. We have to kill our human self-righteousness and then kill powerless self-disciplines because you have the fullness of Jesus. So in verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So as we look at this, um, he's referring back to uh, these rules and regulations, and he says, yeah, they look wise, uh, they look good, like from the outside, it's like, wow, that's a spiritual person. That's someone who really loves the Lord. But in reality, it's just self-imposed religion. It's just things that we make up to uh, make ourselves look good. False humility, we uh, very proudly put ourselves low. Uh, neglect of the body, that's the idea of uh, you know, inflicting things upon yourselves in a way to get closer to God. But he says these things are powerless. They have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So if you're fighting sin and you look to these human ideas, these things that only appear wise, uh, they're not going to be of any value. They have no power over uh, our sinful desires. So Looking back to verse 11 then, where Paul describes what the fullness, what living life in the fullness of Jesus is like, he says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So I think Paul's kind of putting bookends on this and saying uh, with this idea of uh, learning to put off the flesh and to stop sinning, you can try it on your own through self-discipline and man-made wisdom, or you can walk with Christ. You can live life in the fullness of Christ. 
So we have that option now. We've died with Christ, so we can, you know, give it our best shot on our own, or we can walk in the fullness of Christ, who has already freed us uh, from the body of sins of the flesh. So that's the encouragement, I think, from this is, you know, we can set up rules and regulations till Jesus comes back, but it's not going to change us. That's not real growth. Real growth is walking with the Lord and trusting him. And as we'll see, so we, we saw if you died in verse 20 and then next week in chapter 3, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So I think we've seen now man's attempt at religion, man's failed attempt that can never work. There's no value in it. And then next week and in the previous weeks, we've seen what real religion is. It's setting our mind on Christ and following him. So if you found yourself struggling to grow, uh, maybe in little ways you've, you've turned away uh, from Christ and you're following a shadow. You're looking for uh, something mystical or something uh, exciting or a big event to kind of change the direction of your life or to free you uh, from, a, from a sin. Or maybe uh, little ways have snuck in that, you know, if I do these things, uh, Jesus will love me and I'll feel close to him. Um, instead of remembering what we studied in 11 through 15, that we have everything in Christ. He's given us every spiritual blessing and uh, we just need to set our mind on him and walk with him. And uh, I think there's that contrast there of you can follow false teachers or you can follow you know, teachers that will lead you to think on Christ. And that's, that's the contrast here. Uh, so Paul is one of those teachers that, that points them to think on Christ. Uh, any thoughts on um, our lesson of what we covered tonight? Yeah, Linda. mental health and all of that, to trust in experience and emotion above intellect. Mm -hmm. and, and so when we're going to have a worship experience, we need a sure. worship uh, show mm -hmm. or whatever that's going to make me feel a certain way about Jesus. Instead of helping me think truth about Jesus, it's helping me feel some kind of an emotion. Yeah. And that, I think, is such a trap. Years ago, uh, we were invited to the very tip of, southern tip of Texas to a, um, a, one of our daughter's friends. Her father had started a church at a nightclub down there. And um, he, he pastored a church of 1,500, and it was a very successful Southern Baptist church. And they started this new church, and we were invited down there, and our daughter had been invited down first, and we went down to be with them. We went into this service thing, mm -hmm. and we were, she was told she could, she was invited to sing, 
but she was told she could not sing any hymns. And <laughs> so you have to throw a tradition out. Mm -hmm. but, um, but that morning, I was just watching everybody dancing and prancing, and I just wanted to go up to them and just hold their shoulders and say, excuse me, tell me what you're thinking right now. Yeah. Where is your head? You know, what are you thinking? And Jesus who? I mean, what Jesus are you making up that you have to be in this mindless swoon in order to think that you're worshiping? And I uh, have done a lot of thinking about that. And mm -hmm. this really is related to this uh, book. Yeah. Because we want a certain feeling. And, and what's, what's really tricky about this and where we could be deceived is we really... Emotion is part of us. God made us with emotion, and it should be a part, a response to what we know about Jesus. So there is right. a place for an emotional expression. That's right. Yep. But it can't be the engine. Right. And there's so much manipulation in that department. A lot of manipulation. Right. I remember a worship leader in one of the conferences we were in admitting he said i know how to manipulate you and make you cry <laughs> with music right and and he was he'd been convicted about this and and he he needed a, a heart change and he was admitting it to everybody um anyway i just i've been thinking that through this whole thing about how can i feel close to jesus well what jesus sure yeah you got to make sure you're you know, gonna... <laughs> i don't want an idolatrous jesus Right. And I need to know him. Right. So I need to study him. Yep. Exactly. And I think that's part of what chapter three talks about. I got a, I got a great definition of what worship is when I went to a Bulls game, a Chicago Bulls game with Dell. And I don't give a hoot about basketball or football or any ball. But this entire stadium, this was, of course, when the Bulls were in their height. Yep. The there was so much racket in there, I couldn't think. And and then the bulls came out on the team, you know, and then that music, like the whole place was like, I think I'm being I think I'm elevating. You know, it was just ridiculous. And yeah. I thought, this is no, I would get excited if Jesus was walking out there, but right. I am I don't have one goosebump over these people. And this place is worshiping those people. Yeah. Dell and I get goosebumps. It's there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's but that was it helped me understand what worship is. You know, I I want to get excited about Jesus, right. the true Jesus that I know here out of this book. Yep. No, I think that's exactly right. And uh, yeah, with the church part of things, I have a book called "What Happens When We Worship," and I don't agree with uh, all of his theological perspectives, but. Um, it's easy to lose sight of what God promises He's doing when the church gathers. And uh, it's fun to think about. So, um, And then, yeah, with uh, you know, different... It's kind of called today revival versus revivalism. So uh, with you're talking about people manufacturing experiences with God... They call that revivalism, where 
you know, if I do these things, they'll respond this way and, you know, feel like they, they experience God or whatever. And uh, it's just important to remember that, that real change comes from God and uh, it can't be from us. So that's really good. Uh, I think we'll stop there for tonight. We have 10 minutes to pray. Uh, if you have more thoughts about this, uh, feel free to talk to me. And uh, yeah, if you have any thoughts about the, the video we watched too, I talked to you about that. But if you've never heard of him, then that's totally fine. <laughs> he was a really bad guy, but I'm a bad guy too. But he uh, might not have been saved. So, All right. Thank you all. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.